How are you doing, Father Anthony? Oh, I'm doing well, and you sound so clear and so wonderful, Father Harrison. I got a new mic, and I, I pray, I hope. This is my, unfortunately, uh, the last mic stopped working. Yeah, it got broken. It just, I don't know what happened. It just stopped working one day. So we used the backup mic for a while, and uh, but now we have this nicely, uh, JVL mentioned the Yeti, and it's a beast, but it should do the job now. So, yeah. So I wanted to talk about, you know, I, I've discovered a new hobby on Twitter. A new hobby on Twitter? <laughs> what yeah. is this? I have become an Acedia content creator. I've noticed that. Um, <laughs> I, I've, uh, yeah, noticed that and taking a delight in that. Um, for people who are new, what, what is this Acedia thing that you're talking about? So Acedia, we will first check out our episode on it. And I think actually I want to, the next time it's my turn to take a lead, I'm probably going to do a follow-up episode on Acedia because I think mm-hmm. it's so good and important and it's just uh, such an important topic. But um, Acedia is essentially something that kills our desire for God and for doing the duties of the moment, essentially, to put it simply. Um, and so I had actually a couple people tweet me about it this weekend. I, I tweeted something about it a, a week ago or so. And someone's like, can you give me some lists? I'm like, oh, I'll just do a Twitter thread. Yeah. And suddenly just like this one day, I'm like, oh, I'll just do an Acedia tip of the day. Well, let's do some check-ins. And then all of a sudden it's like people are like really appreciating it. And I've it's been actually kind of cool. Like got a lot of emails from people saying how much they found their tweets helpful because it's been or the tweets helpful because it's helped them see something about their life they haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, cool. And so now, and so now uh, I tweet about Acedia like every day and it's been kind of fun. And I, the reason I did this though too is not just for the good of the people as, as, as good and holy as that is. <laughs> I did it for my own sake too, not for my own self glory, but for my own problems with Acedia. Acedia is definitely one of those big sins I struggle with. And actually this time has been really good for me. I've, I've learned to conquer it in many ways. I'm trying to go for walks almost every day. Like I'm just trying to find a new duty to, but you also have your failings too, right? Like I tweeted actually this morning about how it took me an hour and a half to get out of bed. I was just so tired. I just didn't want to move. Mm-hmm. That's a CDA kind of creeping in, but that's okay. Like you, you move on and you, you accept that you didn't succeed here. But then yesterday I got out of bed in 15 minutes and that was a really big success. So like, mm-hmm. you know, these little things and uh, it's been kind of fun. And then you, uh, it's hard to describe memes, but you made a great meme. Well, the thing is, I saw like I like I know I know that one can put out you know uh, a a daily tweet or a few tweets and be productive. But I also know me, and one of the things I am often tempted to do is post something on social media and then feel like I've been productive and then not do the actual thing I want to do. So that was this was floating through my head. I saw all of your little acedia things, so I decided to to meme at you and make fun of you a little bit. And it was great, and I laughed very hard because. Uh, so it's the image of Elmo looking at fruit or sugar, right? And his face is just like looking intently at the sugar, and then he just places his face flat into the sugar, right? And uh, and the sugar was a seed of tweets, and the fruit was um, book you writing. Write, yeah, you write and your books. <laughs> I'm Elmo in the meme. So, anyways, uh, it was really funny because that's also one of my favorite meme formats is the Elmo meme with the fruit and the sugar. Uh, I just it, it's so adorable and funny and everything at the same time. So see anyways. the thing is I I never interpreted the the pile of uh, white su- white substance as sugar in that meme. I we always assumed friend- it was drugs, which makes we the are meme a way family more funny. friendly podcast, Father Anthony. <laughs> it's sugar. 
<laughs> it's sugar. Elmo face planting into a pile of drugs uh, is just very funny to me. Um, but no, it's probably yes, sugar. I, I'm just, it, I just am not virtually. I actually don't all. know. I just know it's a wipe substance. I'm just, I just, <laughs> I recognize perhaps kids might be listening to the podcast. Don't right do now. drugs, kids. Elmo doesn't do drugs. Yes, exactly. Um, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, so that's been. You know, it's been really fun because honestly, by tweeting about it, it inspires me and kind of keeps me personally accountable. Mm. So often a tweet is something I've tried to work through the day myself. Like I'm not, it's not just coming out of pie in the sky advice. This is, it's very practical stuff too, which is kind of interesting. Like yeah. it's funny. Cause like as much as we criticized Jordan Peterson and our famous first episode, mm-hmm. there is some truth into, into some of his practical tips. And I oh, think, absolutely. Uh, and I think uh, I'm starting to realize that this is actually an important thing to do in life. And so, yeah, it's been fun. I'm glad. I'm glad you're making your bed. This is good. Uh, so <laughs> Not every day there yet. To, yes. Uh, well, well, first, before, well, before you, uh, you oh, yeah, say yeah. anything, I gotta. We gotta introduce the podcast, Father mm-hmm. Anthony. Uh, so, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. What you got? It's time for a Minecraft update, Father Harrison. Okay, excellent. So, as I mentioned in the last uh, episode, uh, a bunch of youth ministers in my diocese have put together a Minecraft server, and they invited me on, you know, as a priestly presence, and blah, blah, blah. So there's lots of the youths, there's the youth ministers, and there's me on this server. And there are a few things that have bothered me that made me very aware of my age. First of all, like when someone saw the things I had built in Minecraft, one of the youths saw them and was shocked and did not believe that I had built them because I am one of the olds. But let's 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 you know lay out a few things. Video games are you know have been around since the '80s at least, right? And I'm 30 years old. I grew up in video games. Yeah, we are the right? first generation to really grow up with them in right? the home, in the home, in the home. Exactly. This is part I mean, of the yeah, culture. Atari, but like Atari's not real video games, right? So I began with you know the the first generation Nintendo console, and yes. now we're here. Yes. Okay. So there's that. So this is this is part of like just my culture and who I am. All right. Mm-hmm. Also, Minecraft came out in 2011 when all these kids were tiny, tiny babies, right? So or I've been playing this game for a long time. Glimmers in their parents' eyes. Even. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, I know a few things about Minecraft. All right. Don't act so surprised. And you know what? When you see something that I've built, don't say. Oh, Father, is this all you do with your life? Oh, how long have you been playing this game? How about you just say, that's a nice house, Father Anthony. That's a nice church. And don't make these vast assumptions about how I spend my time in quarantine, because sometimes that's hurtful, because it's a little bit close to the truth. I've been playing, <laughs> playing, playing Wait, a lot be- of Minecraft. Okay, before, before you go any further here, folks, yeah. uh, people can't see this right now, but Father Anthony has a cross in his hand as he's doing this, and I feel like <laughs> right. he's almost speaking like a mission preacher here, you know? who Those mission preachers who would carry those big crucifixes and just, like, judge away at the people there and tell them they're going to hell because of this. And I kind of feel like a little judged right now. Okay. And I, I feel I, like... I, I did I not mean like... for that to happen. <laughs> There's... It's all because of the cross in the hand. If it wasn't, I'd just be like, oh, he's just being Italian. Yeah, well, that's that's a dangerous combination. There's a little uh, uh, cross on my desk from the Knights of Columbus, and I just picked it up, and then I started speaking with my hand, so I'm waving it around. We'll have to do this again for our next live stream. But anyway, exactly. so that's, that's the update. I just think that you should compliment the, the nice church and the nice house I built and not just, you know. Say hurtful things. That's all and I want. That's all I'll I want. I'll just say this publicly because I had many questions about this last week. Sure. No, I do not know how to get onto your server, and I never will. Oh, yeah. Nor no. will I ask because this is for your diocesan youth. Right. This is for uh, several youth groups in uh, the area, 
And that's one thing that's nice about it. So it's definitely just the the, the youths, the youth ministers. Um, one of the youth ministers actually owns a server and everything, so can keep track of everything for safe environment, all that stuff. So no, no, you random person could not be a part of this my Christian Minecraft server. It's not going to happen. That's right. Yeah. So speaking of people talking to us on Twitter, let's right. go into Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about So the Summa Theologica, St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology in the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And I'm going to go with the first one I saw today uh, from Emily Johnson. And I'm not, um, she's a locked account, so we won't mention her, her account name. Uh, then, or them, I think it's a typo, them. How can you believe in a God who allows evil and suffering? Me. Dot, dot, dot. You mean you'd rather all the evil and suffering just happen for just no reason at all? Not even redemptive suffering? And I was like, oh, that's a great takedown. Um, It's a great... I I actually never really thought about approaching the problem of evil this way. Yeah. And it's so common sense, actually. It's like, oh, yeah. So then, yeah, okay, fine. You take God out of the picture. Does that make thing does that make things any better with the problem of evil? It actually only makes things worse it seems to me. Now it doesn't reduce the question why does God allow these bad things to happen? But it definitely puts it in its right perspective. It's almost like a a a, a Jobian response, you know, like uh Job. What? You're giving me a face. No, I'm thinking. Oh, you're thinking. Sorry, I was like, what? Oh, yeah. No, it's just like, like uh, uh, Job in his lament. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, what? Like, I, okay. I was like, so I was oh. thinking about what I was going to say. And like, you, was, <laughs> you said like, Job, like you're going to say some more things. Well, just, uh, oh, fine. Like, I'm just saying like, we all know Job suffered. You I, you were either going to say something about Job or you're going to make an arrested development thing. And I'm just waiting for oh, it to happen. I was being I, see, that wasn't, that wasn't even going through my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure it wasn't. Anyway. An illusion, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyways. I don't care for Job. Um, no. Uh, anyways. No, I mean Job in the biblical sense of the name. Like J-O-B, not G-O-B. Uh, but... This idea that she is that the problem of suffering doesn't negate or even really undermine the existence of God, right? And in yeah. fact, only the existence of God it can only bring a positive thing to the problem of evil and suffering. While if you take God away, you things actually are even much more hopeless. Yeah, I think a lot of times when that that question, the problem of evil, is asked in uh, like if it's going to happen on Twitter or if it's going to happen in social media, it's done without taking the question itself very seriously. So when the question isn't asked seriously, you can kind of give a quippy sort of response. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
also, I, I, this idea of flipping the question on its head makes a lot of sense. So you can ask, you know, why is there evil in the world? Well, ask yourself, why is there any good? Like, yeah. Just by this like sort of flipping of the question, um, you realize that there's a lot of things you're presuming in the questions you're even asking. So, yeah, it was a neat perspective. I really appreciated it. Yeah, no, it was good. So, yeah. What do you got? Nothing, apparently. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah, okay, so I'm just going to ask you this one, because you picked it, and oh. I think it's because you want to torture yourself, um, <laughs> which well, is I fine. Actually, I have a response already to go for it. Wow, okay, because first, uh, anyway, um, this comes from uh, Adam Matthews, and yeah. he says, while you're delaying things, and he's speaking to Father Harrison here, while you're delaying things, you still have never followed up on St. Louis de Montefort for the show, and you still have a few hours left of his feast day. So, St. Louis de Montefort's feast day was a few days ago. Yesterday, he really. is a he, well, depending well, on us. when you listen to this, you, yeah. recently was the Time feast is day a flat of Saint Louis Father de Montfort, yes, <laughs> and uh, who is a great teacher of true devotion to Mary, in which he kind of compiles um, the spirituality of Marian devotion into this very sort of intense giving yourself entirely to Jesus by giving yourself entirely to Mary. It is a yeah. perfect renewal of your baptismal vows, and we had mentioned it, and you had just said a little bit offhandedly. That you feel like there are some excesses in St. Yes. Louis' writing, yeah. and people lost their minds, and we just, <laughs> as good podcast hosts who listen to the people, have continually ignored them. Yeah. So why did you pick this tweet? Why did you bring this back up, that you will never speak of St. Louis de Montefort? Uh, because he's right. I did have a few hours, and I didn't do anything. And I still won't. Oh, okay. He just did that just to troll I'm everybody. just trolling. People. I'm trolling the <laughs> listeners right now. You guys want it. I know you want the answer, but I'm building up your desire. I, maybe I, I will answer it according to my own, uh, according to the, when, it, when at the fulfillment of time, at the fullness of time is when uh, the right time will come to answer that question. So okay. continue to wait. So yeah, I chose it to say to Adam, because Adam Matthews is the one who tweeted it. I said, yep, you're right. I did have a few hours and that's all I'm going to say. Wow. That's all. That's it. Okay, we'll, we'll, we wait in joyful hope for your That's response. Right. That's right. All right. Um, so here, this we're going to – now, here's the thing. Like, hopefully, because, you know, our podcast Twitter account is so huge, um, when the Pope is tagged in this, that he'll retweet it. Because we're, 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 we're quoting a tweet from Pope Francis here. Yes. Now. All right. And it says this from at Pontifex. When confessing our sins, we must not be abstract but simple and concrete like children. I am a sinner because of this, this, and this. This leads me to feel ashamed. Being concrete makes me serious rather than vaguely a sense of being a sinner. I love this so much. I love this. Well, this first It's because so validating because this is what I've been saying for a long time. <laughs> it is that. And it's also, I'm like, there's probably a little bit of a translation issue here too because mm -hmm. this leads me to feel ashamed. I don't, my sense is like, I don't think that's quite what he's trying to get at. Well, probably it means the, like yeah. lead you to feel guilt for your sin. Exactly, not that's what I mean. Of your being. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah it's like we yeah. can, but we can hear that and we think, wait, I'm supposed to feel shame? No, no, no that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> so, but yeah, I love this because um, my biggest beef as a confessor is well, um, pride is definitely the biggest one, and uh, gluttony, uh, jealous. Yep. Um. Wait, are you confessing to me right now? Because I can't, I can't do anything about that. 
no, no, no. Oh, no, no. Trust me, none of these are my sins. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was worried. Like, Colin Harrison, do you do sins? My goodness, I am I I'm have scandalized. I no pride in me whatsoever, right? Anyways, no, no. It, uh, what is – that's what often people come into confession with. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at the concrete actions where they have – you see, the whole point of confessing your sins is not to necessarily – you can confess the root sin. But it's really about confessing like how that root sin has actually manifested itself in concrete things. I'm jealous. I um like okay, let's say someone you're jealous uh like jealousy is a strong thing for you to or envy, maybe envy is a better one. Let's let's use envy. You're envious a lot. And you're like, I saw my neighbors drive in with a new car and um and I wanted that car. That's the sin. Great. Yeah. Speak it clearly. Not I was envious of my neighbor. Now, at the same time, don't go into so much detail that you're telling me your whole life story when you're going to confession. It's like, mm-hmm. I got envious about my neighbor's goods a few times. That's that's concrete enough or something like that, right? But don't go into like, well, so yesterday, Joe, uh, I saw that they were having a really nice family time, and I just wish my family could be like that sometimes. So, you know, that was the first time of envy. And then, you know, like, I don't need the full list either. Mm-hmm. But the whole point of going to confession is to be concrete in your expressions of sin. Because only then are you actually giving a name to what you've done. If you stay vague, like, I mean, my favorite one is how people say, well, uh, I sinned against the fifth commandment. I'm like, okay, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, Can you be a bit more specific, please? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But because we're ashamed or we're afraid that I'm going to be judged or pushed away from it. It's like, no, no, no. We're here to hear it. Just actually tell us the sin. Sorry, I talked a lot. You go ahead. Yeah, no, it's good. And it's the same thing. Like, I will, um, as far as confessing your sins simply, like, very often people will try to explain away their sins. Like, I got mad and yelled at this person, but they were being super annoying and difficult. And I had a lot of, like, I don't care. I don't care about the whole backstory. Did you sin or did you not sin? Because if yeah. you sinned, then confess your sin. If you didn't sin, then don't confess it. Like, yeah, exactly. Just be very real about it. Yeah. Nobody forces you to sin. No one makes you sin. You choose to sin. That's actually how sin happens. It's an act of the will. And yes, I know for sure your life is complicated and full of stuff. That's real. I'm not discounting that. But when it comes to confession, tell me your sins. Exactly. And then it's, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, if you have no, yeah, if you have nothing, then don't come. You don't, yeah. like, that's the other thing. It's not like the Eucharist where you should just be coming all the time. It's like you come when you actually have something to say. Mm-hmm. If you have nothing to say, that's okay. In a way, like either you're not too aware of what's going on in your heart or you really just don't have anything huge to bring. And that's fine. So, mm-hmm. The Pope is being a good pastor in this tweet, and it's yeah. definitely definitely the fruit of a lot of years of experience. Oh, absolutely. All right, no, so what good. have you got for the last one? Okay, I'm going to censor this one, but I'm going to pick it anyway because I think it's good. This is from Gottlieb, uh, at T-E-H-S-P-I-D-3-R. I, I'm never going to be able to pronounce that. But this person says, majoring in theology, a massive L. They figured all that out already like 1,500 years ago. Sit down, LOL. And I kind of like this because a lot of times, and you'll see on social media, people will label themselves theologian, which always makes my eyes roll. Like anyone who labels themselves a theologian is not a theologian in my in, in my book. You know, um, I always enjoy the idea of like in the Eastern Catholic Church, 
uh, theologian, the theologians. is reserved. It's a very reserved title for those who have pierced the mysteries of God, not those who have who got their MDiv and have a few interesting thoughts about sacraments. Like, come on, settle down. Now, I will say, theology is good, and we need in a regular common sense theologians because the truths that have been um, expounded upon by previous generations um, need to continue to be expounded upon and to be, in a sense, translated uh, so that people can understand, and we need good teachers. Also, studying theology is just really good for the soul. Um, but if you go into it thinking that you're going to be a theologian and come up with some clever ideas, then indeed, sit down, because we do not need you. This is why I've always appreciated some people who enter into theology and they say, I just want to be like a parochial theology teacher. Like they're going to teach theology at a high school or yeah. at a small local college. And that's their life dream. They don't want to make any big splash. They just want to help hand on the faith in a more intellectually rigorous way. Right. Yeah. And, I, and that's definitely important. And I, so, yeah, the, but at the same time, at the same time. Yeah. This tweet is dead wrong. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, like, no, everything you said is right, right? And yeah, you're of course. Right. Of, of course. course, everything I said is right. Yes. We don't need to say that. Here, and not so because that's... you're Anthony. It's because you're Italian. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Um, but no, what we, A, we didn't figure it out because as we know, thanks to St. John Henry Newman, uh, doctrine develops over time, right? It's like a seed planted in the ground. And so we, we've, we, in a way, you could say theology has grabbed the essentials of things. Uh, like, who is Jesus, right? What's the Trinity? What's the church? What are the sacraments? We we have a very good sense of what that is. But there's two things. A, all the things of the faith, are there is an element of mystery to it. So you never exhaust the whole thing. So no, you can never figure it out. Because if it's all figured out, then you've also then you've automatically lost the divine element that's at the heart of it all. You can't, because you can't, guess what? You can't figure out God. <laughs> yes. If, if, it's if you think you know it, it's God, then it's not God, as Augustine likes to say, right? So it's also it, it, it develops and it also needs to deal with new situations in humanity, right? So we live in a modern postmodern world, and so the problems of today inf influence our faith and also influence how we see ourselves as human beings in the world. And so theology has to go about things in a different direction. And so it's always new, it's always but never cutting itself off from the root. It's just like, as I said, it's developing, it's growing. And so it's not a major L. Like for those who don't know what that language <laughs> means, by the way, it means like a loss, like it, they take the loss, right? So it's not a major L. We had not figured out like 1500 years ago because God, and this is the other, this is the last thing. The word is always speaking alive today. Mm -hmm. It's not a dead word. Because Christ is alive and raised from the dead. And so he's always speaking to the church today. And the church is always meditating on him today. And so it's not a pa just a past historical event. It's always a now. And theology always needs to, to reflect on that now and speak to it and to bring it into contact with people's lives. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, we figured most of it out 1,500 years ago. But there were not really any, outside of like the two great popes, there were no real Italian theologians. So how could you guys We've have figured it out? We've been over this before. Everyone is Italian by virtue of their <laughs> baptism, and I, will, I have spoken. <laughs> I forgot about this, yes. That's right. Well, Do then, your transition well, then, with your mouth full so, of water. <laughs> yeah, so then, hey, 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 let's, let's talk about another Italian then. There we go. Because there's no one more Italian than Carol Wojtyla. 
<laughs> exactly. And every Polish person is going to hate me right now because of this. So let's, <laughs> we'll bring it back, folks. It. We're back in it. It's time for some Theology of the Body. And now it's time for Theology of the Human Person. You have human dignity. Guys and girls are different. Full, total, faithful, fruitful. Yeah. All right. Are you ready, Father Anthony? I think so. Did you do the reading? I did do the reading. Excellent. How did you find it? Did you enjoy it? Um. So here's the thing. Here's the thing with, yeah. with John Paul II. I think he's a little bit better in some of his encyclicals, but I find his his writing very difficult. I, I felt yep. like I was like uh, I, to get to the heart of what I mean. Two things. Two things. One yes. in the just the the documents that I have here on my desk. It's a big old book. It's the style of it is he's doing a lot of recapping. Yeah. And so I'm trying to figure out which parts are recaps and which parts are news. So there's a little bit of that. Yeah. And then just, um, he's just not as direct as it's, other theologians. Is that fair? That's fair, but it's 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 a different form of philosophy. It's something that I've noticed became quite in vogue in Catholic circles as I'm doing more research for my doctoral thesis in 20th century Catholic uh, Catholicism. It's what we'd call like a circling thought. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's this idea that right circling thought says that it recognize like it doesn't try to pit one side over the other, but says these there's actually a truth to both sides. So like for example, if we're talking about what it means to be human, yeah, there's a side of our experience of things, right? Of so what we call subjectivity or the subject, and there's also something objective. There's something that we can sense and study about it in a scientific manner and know through logic. Those are in and often in in thought. They do one thing or the other, but circling thought says, no, we need to hold these two things together. And it also comes from his personalism and his background in, in phenomenological uh, philosophy too, right? So phenomenology likes to kind of take something and observe it and just kind of walk around it and look at it from all the different angles. So when you're, when you're not used to that, it, and you're like, you're looking for like a five-step argument, yes. he's not going to give that to you. Yes. He's not going to give that. So, and now these books, by the way, this book. Um, I've owned this book since it came out, and I was very excited when it came out. So we're, we've been using as our standard, uh, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, which was translated by Michael Waldstein, who I believe is teaching at Steubenville now. Um, and it's got, as we said before, one of the most masterful introductions to the theology of the body in the first 130 pages. But And I'm not being paid for this. I'm doing this of my own free will. Um, but who published this, Father Anthony? Uh, look, it's, it says there's a, who does this? Um, it's got, uh, there's a P and like a little like globe web thing. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure, not sure. Oh, here we go. Pauline Books and Media. Pauline Books and Media. That's right. Pauline Books and Media is the publishing arm of the Daughters of St. Paul. And, um, I, I want to encourage everyone, please go to their and I'm going to pull up the link right now so I can actually say it to you properly. Um, if you go to paulinestore.com, you can order books from them. Now, why am I doing this? Because um, this is how the sisters support themselves. They support themselves through their bookstores, their online store, etc. And obviously, bookstores are kind of closed right now. Yeah. And they need to house and feed nuns. <laughs> and uh, so if you want to support um, a really awesome group of people. Please, please, please go to paulinestore.com. You can order this book there. 
There's all other theology of the body books there as well, more introductory stuff. And there's a ton of other great resources there. And um, I'm doing this because I, A, I'm, a fr- I'm friends with a lot of those sisters. And B, I, I, I think it's important that we do what we can to support them because it can become a crisis that they may not be able to do the ministry that they do. And they do good work. They are such, they're such an awesome group of nuns. And, I, and I, I'm so grateful to know them as friends. And I just want to encourage everyone to please go and buy books from them. Yeah. Um, the one thing I have a lot from from their publisher is um, these little uh, publications of the different encyclicals. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can get them online for free. and uh, But they, they make these nice little copies of them that I use for study. I used it for study in seminary, and I use it now because it's nice to have this nice little book in your hand. And they there do a good go. job with that. We're going to talk about um, original innocence today. And so we're going to be going through two audiences that he gave on this topic and so what does he mean um by um original innocence and he says that it reveals what he says is a synthetic character that is um um it, it's revealing a holistic image of man about the whole point of him going to Robert's original innocence as we're going to learn is that he's trying to help us understand what is the essence of what it means to be human mm-hmm. right an original innocence means man as he was really and authentically created in and what he was created for. What was his original purpose? Sin obviously disturbed this. And as he likes to say, we're, we're, we can only kind of get a glimmer uh, at original innocence through revelation. But we can't actually, and, and thank God for revelation, because but that glimmer still remains with us. And so if we mm-hmm. want to understand what it means to be human today, we need to go to the beginning and see what inst- original innocence looked like and how it kind of constituted us as human beings so that we can actually understand like how we are to act today. Like his whole point in talking about original innocence is to set up what he calls the ethical character of man, which is that rooted in um, how we were originally constituted by God, we can actually kind of, if you will, kind of create a logic that helps us understand what is man's ethical character? How is he supposed to act in in the world? And so the beginning can actually give us great insight into that. Which I and I, I that's kind of that's a general overview of these two of these two audiences. Right, and it's not just a, a clever idea that he had. He's he's following uh, Christ. Um, when Christ told the disciples um, in the beginning, it was not so with regards to divorce. So Jesus Christ himself points to the beginning as right. a source of ethics for what we should do now. Yeah, he, he uh, John Paul II loves to go back over and over and over again to the those words of Jesus. Yeah. Jesus keeps on pointing us to the beginning, and so we are required to go there, he says, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what he's trying to do. And so he says that on this basis, theology has built the overall image of man's original in its innocence and justice before original sin. Um, by looking at us at man just from like the objective standard that is like as a as an object of study so almost like with a scientific precision but he says though what he's trying to do his point is to go at it from a different angle he wants to look at original innocence from if you will what he says human subjectivity that's a fancy way to talk about a personal experience or how man experienced how man experienced himself in original innocence at the beginning and that that's his point of doing this. So he's not saying what what is what is what are the qualities of original innocence if we were to just look at man as an object. Like let's say we're at the garden and we're there studying Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that that is a way to do theology, and that's not a bad thing. But he says there's also how did man experience it? So it's almost like we almost have to go in Adam and Eve, if you will, to understand their experience from within. And he says Revelation can actually tell us not only this, but he also says that this method he thinks reels, reveals even more the authentic character of original innocence than it does than if we're just studying them, like we're in the garden watching them. Does that make right, sense? Uh- yeah, and I think this is important too because a lot of times, if you're a good Catholic uh, theologian or a philosopher or you fancy yourself such, you kind of shy away from the subjective because yeah. of our culture of moral relativism. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to, we don't care so much about the subjective experience because that seems to be ever changing. But uh, what John Paul II uh, does is that authentic subjectivity actually points us to something objective. Exactly. Um, it's it, so he, he's kind of using. Um, Subjectivity doesn't necessarily lead to moral relativism. Uh, and I think because he's using the language of subjectivity, and he'll continue to as well, it actually helps us dialogue with the culture now. So I think it's actually a very helpful um, thing that he's doing with, with this, not just a uh, way to get at the truth, but also a way to get at it, to speak in a sort of way that the, that the culture speaks. That's right. And I think like to put it, to push that even like a little further, he's... He's try, like he's not denying the objective side of things. No, not at all. Right, and he never will. He's just saying, but the subjective can reveal something of this too. This is very. This work gets actually interesting because this uh, highlights a a debate he had when he was doing his doctoral thesis in Rome. Hence, why he's really an Italian, right? I mean, he did doctoral thesis exactly. in Rome. So, um, but uh, his his thesis director when he was writing, he was writing on mysticism in Saint John of the Cross mm. and um, and the Dark Knight and everything. So he. And it's a brilliant book, by the way, if you, if you can get your hands on it. Um, but John Paul II liked to talk about God as a divine subject. And Gary Gru Lagrange kept on going after him saying, no, 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 no. You can only call God an object. There is no subjectivity in God. And it's like, ugh, that's a little... And, and John Paul II resisted. He kept on pushing for, for this language of subjectivity. He's not denying that God is not an object towards what we look. But he's also a subject to acts in our life and is wanting to interact. And so you need to bring these two things together. And you need to hold both these things together all the time. That's why I was calling it like a circling thought with, with John Paul II. It's about, exactly. holding, it's about holding two things at the same time, which means you can't go A, B, C, D. But it's like you're saying, okay, we've got to talk about this here on the left and we have to talk about this here on the right and we kind of hold these things in tension it's kind of looking it and that's a, the more authentic way of thinking about things so yeah sorry that's yeah. that's a lot and about hey, method turns out if you become pope you can talk about subjectivity all you want you can do whatever you want <laughs> so you're take the that Gary Legrand. that's right so um <laughs> So the, what I found interesting, and I think this is actually one of the most important points of this section, is how he talks about um, what he calls about the experience of the body in, in, in part two there, uh, or paragraph two there. He says that looking at the original text of Genesis 2.23 and 2.25, he says that it indicates a degree, and this is, this is going to be um, hard for people to comprehend. This is going to, and I think people might irk themselves when they hear this, Okay. Genesis 2.23, and even more so of Genesis 2.25, indicates a degree of spiritualization of man that differs from the one about which the text speaks about after original sin, so um, shame after the fall, and which we know 
from the experience of historical man. It is a different measure of spiritualization that implies another composition of inner forces in man himself, another body-soul relation, as it were, other inner proportions being between sensitivity, spirituality, and effectivity, and yada, yada, yada. So um, what... It's it's a complex. It's a little actually. I was like reading. I'm like that's really awkwardly phrased, but um, what he's trying to get at here is that prior to the fall, and this is really hard for us to. And this is why it's actually hard for us to look to Genesis um, and to see things clearly. We do not experience the relationship between the body and the soul the same way Adam and Eve did. We the part of the fall, and this is actually pretty constant, is a very constant theme in New Testament theology. And John Paul II will get into it later when he talks about the difference between flesh and body in, in Paul. Um, the whole teaching of the fall is that it kind of gave the body a certain priority over the soul. But the whole point, and this is why he uses the phrase spiritualization, he's not saying like everything is spiritual and that like, and it's actually coming from Christology, by the way. Uh, because Jesus in the resurrection has a spiritualized body. Now we know from the resurrection accounts, Jesus has a body. He ha- he's eating fish, right? He's mm-hmm. he's walking on he's on the beach shores. Um, he's people he's showing them his hands and his side, and people can touch them if they wanted to. So he's interacting with them in a way that a body would. But it's also he's able to walk into rooms with locked doors somehow and appear and disappear at any time. But he doesn't lose his bodiliness. So it's what the church would call a spiritualized body. And so Jesus's body and how he appears in the resurrection accounts gives us a certain insight into how Adam and Eve experienced the relationship between their body and soul. Not perfectly because of of the, the part of the Jesus's spiritualized body is because of the incarnation. But I mean, um, rather though, it, it, it points to this idea that the soul has a priority of over the body, but without saying the body is bad. Right, but just a half step back. So I think okay. this is important. Uh, I think you want to draw a distinction between the resurrected body That's, yeah. and the prelapsarian body. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But as far as like, so those are going to be different things. Our bodies will not be the same as Adam and Eve's in the resurrection. They'll be something new. That's so right. it's a different kind of quote unquote spiritual spiritualization of the body. Yeah, right. Um, but like, yeah, I think the main point, which is what you said, is that uh, there is a different relation where. Um, like the the inner faculties of the soul, like your will and your yeah. intellect and your emotions, these were in or were um, properly ordered. Um, right. Whereas now we are disordered. Like the the That's physical right. parts of us, the um, naturalistic drives and instincts take over more of our person than our spirit does. I was mixing up a lot of different um, ways of speaking there, but that's that's the gist no, 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 but that's the exact, yeah. Everything that makes everything is part of our spiritual selves, our our our, our soul, our mm-hmm. will, our intellect. Those have a certain priority, and I think this is the important thing because this again, this is a hard way for us to think. We often think priority means better, or or the uh, the other thing is less important, right? To be a human person, you need a body and a soul, and one cannot be without the other, right? To be a human person, if you want a to be a person without a body, that's called an angel. And from what I can tell, Jesus never, in, quote unquote, spiritually incarnated himself as an angel. No, uh, um, I think I think Hebrews is very against that. Actually, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, right. So no, Jesus took on our humanity, and which actually lifts it up to a greater dignity than the angels. So talking about priority doesn't mean this other thing is less important. We can just almost like negate it. It's just saying that 
the right order of things, what gives us, what gives our bodies actually the dignity they have is the fact that the fact that they're imbued with a soul mm-hmm. and with reason and intellect, something the animals do not have. Mm-hmm. And so it's about trying to rediscover that right relationship. And so that's actually the most important thing to think about when we're talking about original innocence is that they, the body was rightly ordered in its, in its relationship with the soul. There was no need to use others because everything was experienced as self-gift that they saw the spousal meaning of the body, Adam and Eve, as this complete gift of self. And that original innocence, because of an original justice, because they had this ability to see, to rightly understand the relationship between their body and their soul, and thus their relationship between God and how they revealed God through their bodies to the world, they understood all of this as, as that spousal meaning, which means to give yourself away. Um, this is what original innocence kind of creates here. And uh, so does that make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you transitioned to like the next big thing and what well, you I just know. said there. Yeah. Um, so maybe I was like, ahead of myself. <laughs> circle back around to that, I think. I, but um, yeah. So, and this is, and it mentions here in the footnote that like the idea that mm. we were um, properly ordered before the fall, that's been in, in Catholic theology for forever. And this is John Paul II now expounding upon that. I think bringing, what is the, um, the development here or like the, the deeper insight here? Uh, that's the spousal meaning of the body. Mm-hmm. So um, originally there was this proper understanding and experience of the spousal meaning of the body. So that's the kind of thing that he, um, yeah. See, yeah. What, he, what he's trying to do here, like there's two things he's rooting here with all this is that A, genderedness, to be gendered is something originally constituted by God. Mm-hmm. It's essential to the communion of persons. That is at the heart of what it means to be human. You cannot have communion without male, female. It's part of God's original plan. So you can't do away with masculinity and femininity. So in a way, this is actually starting to create um, a theological basis to undermine the ideology of transgenderism, for example. Mm-hmm. Right? Not, not, that, not that that's his intent per se here, but that's something that, that it does. So that's the first thing it's trying to kind of root. The other thing it's trying to root is in the spouse, by talking about the spousal meaning is that um, God created man and, and woman to be gifted to each other from the beginning. And so this is why we talk about, if you hear it in the, um, was in the blessing at marriages, the nuptial blessing, right? One of the blessings that was not forfeited by sin. Mm-hmm. This is a blessing of God from the beginning. It's been there since the beginning, and it is of absolute essence to being human is this great gift of self. And obviously, um, as he'll get on to later, late, much later, it, this gets even lifted up even more in the gift of celibacy, mm-hmm. right? But it's this idea. The spousal meaning means not, not when we talk, we're using the word spousal, you see, we, I mean, and he's using that on purpose because he's talking about the nuptial, he's using nuptial analogy. Mm-hmm. From a place of original innocence, it's not a use. Like I'm, like it's not a giving away just to take for myself, but it's giving away so that another may live. This is through the lens of the cross. Like this is how Jesus reveals. Like Jesus reveals the spousal meaning of the body, and this is what he's doing. He's reading the cross into Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so then, how we often even experience, even in marriage today, I would say there is a bit of that element of use even still, right? Because we're fallen creatures. And right, we right. So we're not, you know, 
we you know even christians uh there's always that temptation to um instead of like seeing the other and wanting to give myself freely and completely to the other for the other's sake a lot of times ah, you're doing it in order to to take and that's he, right i think he begins to talk about this um uh, does he talk about it well, here? Or, I think he's uh, talking about here like, with, when he's going to start talking about the ethos, right? Right. I was going to mention like using yeah. the the person as an object instead right. of a another eye. Exactly. No, no. Exactly. Go ahead. Expand upon um, that. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, if you ever listen to uh, the Matt Frad uh, podcast, he does it with somebody else. Uh, Love people, use things. It's right. referring back to this this principle uh, that because of the fall, our temptation is to see another person not as this other I, not as this um, other person, uh, but as a object, as a thing. You know, when I pick up a pen to write down notes in the theology of the body book, I'm not considering the the pen's personality or being because it has none um i'm just i mean in fact i'm even thinking more about what i'm using the pen for than the pen itself when you do this to a person it's really really bad but you can see how we do it all the time and you see it you know it's done uh most explicitly in things like pornography Mm -hmm. whereas that the person is just an object to be used as a tool you're degrading their their humanity and their being um, so the the uh, spousal meaning of the body rejects that. It's a free giving of to this other who is good. Yeah, and that's only possible because we are ensouled bodies, mm-hmm. right? the The soul is what gives the body the freedom to express this gift fully and completely. Otherwise, we'd just be the like the animals who would do it out of need because that's out of instinct. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not. There is no free will. There's no um, pre-thought in the realm of the animals who think I need this from this animal or whatever. Right? It's. It's no. It's actually meant. The whole point of the soul is to orient the body towards gift. This is the whole point of the soul, and I mean, so it. You can start to intuit, and I'll. I'll I gotta be careful not to get too much ahead of myself here, but you can start sure. to intuit. The whole how this starts to become the underpinning of a whole ethics for the not for the human in general and how they relate to each other, mm-hmm. how they relate to themselves, how they understand the body, how they understand gender, and that all encompasses an ethics around sex, marriage, um, um, uh, and not and it, and it can go into other things as well into realms of uh, things like self sacrifice and everything. Um, yeah. it, of it's, biomedical it's, ethics, of exactly. tons of things. Yeah. yeah, it's he's saying this is the most essential thing to know about what it means to be human. So then we have the root out of which a whole ethics can now come out. But yeah, that is not possible without a good anthropology that is rooted in scripture and revelation, right? So this is why he's doing this. And this is why like in the next section, he talks about like the root of the ethos of the human body. This is his whole point. He's saying that... Uh, our ethos is rooted in this original innocence. Our ethics is rooted in this moment. To If we look to how God created us and we take Jesus's words seriously, then we can understand how God created us in the beginning and what he created us for. And thereby, that can inform us today in our bodies who still have a glimmer of that original innocence that's not completely lost. We're not, we're not totally depraved. We are then able to to and and now with the help of grace and living in Christ who lives this spousal meaning completely in his life 
we are able to go along Christ's way to lift up our bodies into a, an offering to God and to others, love of God and neighbor, in a crucified and cruciform way, and thereby to develop an ethics through that. In a way, it's an ethics of the cross. It's an ethics, to put it in almost like a Pope Benedict phrase, it's an ethics of martyrdom. Mm. And that's what he's trying to kind of establish here, I think. Anything on that? Yeah, this is a, a, slight, a slight, so like uh, a question that I think I know the answer to is um, there's no way to get to this ethics. There's no way to get to this anthropology without revelation. Exactly. And part of the question that is is bouncing around in my head because a lot of times we think about, okay, how do I, how would I teach this to someone or explain this to someone who is atheist or agnostic or something like that? I think you run into the complete lack of underpinning for any other anthropology, any other human anthropology ends up all ultimate being lacking. Mm-hmm. That yes, we know that humanity is different than the animals, or at least most of us do. Some people don't. But I think the common human experience is that okay, we're different than the animals. If you look at ancient myths, we always feel like there's part of divinity within us, but we can't quite grasp it. We seem like we have fallen from some sort of divinity if you look at the ancient myths and everything. And you actually do need God to reveal to humanity what humanity is because we are very complicated and weird and you can't discern through your intellect what mm-hmm. the human being is and what the human being is for mm-hmm. uh, and what's the direction of our of our being. You actually do need revelation for this ethics. Exactly. And and um, and I mean, and that opens up a whole other question is, is man kind of constituted or built to receive revelation? And I think you can make that argument from philosophy and natural reason alone that's the whole point of that is to say yeah we actually we are we are made to receive something from god and right. to be open to hearing that right i mean so there's a whole bunch of but what that thing is is you need to have god tell you <laughs> yeah well exactly exactly absolutely yeah. right and then, so he actually concludes the uh, first audience with this great phrase he says original innocence manifests so makes known and at the same time constitutes the perfect ethos of the gift. So by looking at man at the beginning, by looking at man um, as male and female, and in that spousal meaning, in their original innocence, not tainted by sin, which wants to take, and living the image of God, which wants to give, then the moment of man, it reveals, so original innocence reveals to us the ethos of the gift, Okay, so living the gift. Ethos is a fancy way of taking like a whole way of life. Okay, it's a fancy way of speaking of that. Um, it, it's related to morality, but it's not just about morals. But it at the same time constitutes the perfect ethos of the gift. So looking at, at it gives us the framework to build an ethics out of of the gift. And so this is, this is why he's doing this. And it's so important. And it's why we had to kind of spend a lot of time on it because without it, Nothing about the Christian ethic makes sense. But you see that this isn't just something that comes from Jesus. This is there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's there from the beginning. And then he goes into a little bit, what we were talking about a bit ago. He says, the fact that they did not feel shame um, means that the woman was not an object for the man, nor he for her. So this is what you were talking about a little earlier. Right. Inner innocence as purity of heart. And this is why purity of heart is so important. Made it impossible somehow for one to be reduced by the other to a level of a mere object. They were able to see them freely as who they were 
someone to be given to and nothing to take for themselves. Right. And that's the hard part. We can't comprehend that. Like, yeah. It's almost I can't like you see can, things that way. You can, you can kind of reason backwards. Okay. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is our common experience that if you were to see somebody who is naked, there might be a lot of actually reactions from the person. Yeah. But there's the tendency to, to either uh, physically looking at that person to kind of pull them apart physically and, and to use the parts of their bodies uh, for ourselves, either in our minds or whatever, um, or what that person can do for me. Yeah. Uh, as a worker or something else like we get that okay what would it be like to when you see the person you see the person completely as they are That's not right. as something that is for me we can kind of approach that mystery but we can't like jump into it experientially we can only think about it in an intellectual kind and of way I, th I think someone can only really have this original insight if they are very far along in the uh, apprehension of purity of heart which mm -hmm. I think John Paul II is yes um, so I think this is why he's able to have this insight. And I, I think I think we should mention, like, I do think, like, sanctity, like, growing in your relationship with God can give you deeper glimpses into this. So, like, the, the married couple that is pursuing sanctity, I think they can genuinely have moments and glimpses of this in a deeper way. That's right. Uh, but uh, it's never going to be the same as it was uh, in the... Um, before the fall That's on right. this earth, right? So you can get like little glimpses into that mystery and see the beauty for like brief moments and brief parts. Uh, but there's always going to be that that kind of struggle um, in the human heart to not see the other person as an object. So we're running out of time, but I want to make sure we finish this because it's so ah, it's so good. This is such good stuff, man. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so he, the the last bit of what we want to talk about today is he talks about. Um, the foundation of the primordial sacrament, the body as sign. So what we're, and this is, this is very important to me personally on my studies, because this is like literally what my thesis is all about is the sacramental meaning of the human person. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, he says this, and I, I want to read a bit of quotes and then just kind of explain them because I think they're just so important. He says, man appears in the visible world as the highest expression of the divine gift. Okay. Because he bears within himself the inner dimension of the gift. So again, that's the installment. That's the spiritualization of the body. It it brings the body into that fully willed sense of gift. Okay. And with it, he carries into the world his particular likeness to God, with which he transcends and also rules his visibility in the world, his bodiness his masculinity or femininity, his nakedness. So in other words, everything that constitutes him to be a man, which is an ensouled body, male or female, naked without shame, carries within it a responsibility to make visible God through the image that he bears. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a real fancy way of saying that the human being is, in a sense, a sacrament of God's goodness. Exactly. Like it, it's it's in a physical way, both revealing and, in a sense, making manifest a spiritual reality. Literally, Which is, this just makes me think. Like it just it makes the fall so sad, and yeah. it makes it like when people are bad, it makes it so bad. That's right. We're supposed to be so much more. Exactly. Uh, Literally, this is what he's going to get into next here. This is, I mean, so this is, um, if if you're if you're reading along at home, this is on page two hundred three, 
in paragraph four. Just imagine being a sacrament of God in a sense and then being a jerk face all your life. Isn't that sad? That's sorry. I'm. (laughs) That's literally every one of us. That's literally everyone. But then Jesus comes and it makes it better. Yes. All right. So I want to read this whole paragraph because it's just it. This is um. I was, you know, I know Christopher West uses this phrase, this this paragraph a lot, uh, but it really is. It's one of the more constitutive paragraphs in all the theology Mm -hmm. of the body. Is this thus? In this dimension, so this ability to make visible God's image to the world and to lead the world through his body to God, so he's a mediator between God and the world, a primordial sacrament is constituted. And this is it. Understood as a sign that it efficaciously transmits in the visible world the invisible mystery hidden in God from eternity. So just think about this for a second. The human being makes visible God and his plans to the world. That's what we were built for. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's an efficacious sign. So it's not just a sign, like a stop sign that points us to an idea, like stop. Yeah, it's yeah. Effica- it makes happen what it signifies, which is what we mean by sacrament. Mm-hmm. What happens at, in, in confession it signifies through the words of absolution, forgiveness of sin, but it also makes that happen mm-hmm. at the same time. This is what he's saying the body, the human person does in their body to the world. They bring God to the world. To the whole material world, God is made present through the human being. This is our mission and our job. Okay? Yeah. Ah, oh, this is so good stuff. All right. And then he goes on. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this is the mystery of truth and love the mystery of divine life in which man really participates. That's what we're revealing. We're making the truth and love of God visible to us, to, to the world. And because of original innocence, we participate in it because we are spiritualized beings. So in the history mm-hmm. of man, it is original innocence that begins this participation is also the source of original happiness. The sacrament as a visible sign is constituted with man inasmuch as he is a body through his visible masculinity and femininity. So again, that that complementarity between the sexes is absolutely vital. It's absolutely vital because without it, we cannot communicate God to the world. Mm -hmm. This is why the church is so adamant about her teachings about masculinity and femininity. And she will never bend because we're actually attacking the image of God that we're supposed to reveal to the world through our body. All right, before we dialogue about this, but just because this is the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The body, in fact, and only the body, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden from eternity in God and thus to be a sign of it. Not just does our body communicate the fact that we are persons and that we are ensouled and we have a reason and a will, but it even communicates God. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now this isn't this isn't this isn't you know and keep in mind this isn't like the static body. Right. This isn't like a, a Leonardo da Vinci like figure just standing there. This is encompassing like the whole human person, uh, his or her actions, um, personality, obviously physical body, 
um, complementary. It's like the whole person because you can't right. have the person without the body. That's right. And when you're saying that it's not static, like he's talking about the body in the act of giving itself away. Yeah. That's how it communicates God's love, because this is what God is like in his eternal processions. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always giving themselves to each other. This is what it constitutes the Trinity. And mm-hmm. us sharing in that image are built to share in that same life, to give ourselves away completely and totally, and that the body expresses this to the whole world. And so that we become, if you will, priests to the all of creation, the animal. Like This, this is the whole point between the whole naming of the animals and stuff in Genesis 2. It's mm-hmm. to signify the fact that we have been late, we have been sent as priests over the world to make present and invisible to God their creator. And thus the whole point of this is to show that in original innocence we made perfect and true in, in an invisible way God's self-giving love. Mm-hmm. We make God present. Just- just as as a side note, because you've been seeing all these these memes about uh, the world is healing, we are the virus. This sort of, yeah. this, this understanding of the human person as kind of priest or bridge or mediator of God to the physical world uh, really creates a, a uh, we said the ethics kind of reach out to everything. Mm-hmm. How um, the one, how the human being should treat the the world, the physical world and the planet, but also that, no, the world is also kind of for us as well. So it, yeah. it really balances um, one, one, uh, uh, ecological ethics, if you will, yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But it, you see how that balance can be struck if you understand who the human person is. Pope Benedict has this phrase for that. He calls it an ecology of man. And he there says you that you can only understand the responsibilities towards creation when you understand who man is and how he relates to all creation mm-hmm. and how he's meant not how he does in reality but how he's authentically meant to so it's not right. so it's not like a dominion where he just like you know he's just drilling everything on the earth for his own <laughs> yeah, advantage no, that's, that's not good. <laughs> right that's not man in himself because that's not being a true steward of creation mm-hmm. so um anyway so that's that's what he's getting at and so yeah this whole idea is like this whole it this all is meant to communicate God and that we as human beings were created to be ministers of God's presence to the world. And here's the good news, right? And we can kind of conclude with this is that yes, death entered the world, but a God made us for this way in the beginning Mm -hmm. and Christ came to restore to reveal and to draw us back at, back up into this task. So it's not lost on us. No. It's just now, in order to bring about life, we have to go through death. Not right. because of what God's done, but because of what we've done. But it's not it's not lost. And we can still, through our body today, in showing self-sacrificing love, in living the way of the cross, make present God to the world, to others who don't know him, and to the creation, and to the creatures. like. We really like. I know it sounds a little hippie, but yeah, we are kind of meant to minister to all creation. Yeah, like this. Saint Francis was right with his stuff with the animals. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He was right. He was, do- and Saint Anthony with the fishes. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they're living their pre their original priesthood, and I think the reason saints can do that because they recognize this deeper connection between themselves and creation. And yes, they have a authority over it, but it's an authority to draw it to God. Yes. So yeah. That's, I, think uh, I think that's good enough for one podcast. Good. Yeah, that was a lot. That's oh, this is such good stuff. I was reading this yesterday, and I'm just like, woo, 
Dude, this is so much fun. <laughs> I got I put any exclamation marks in my margins and I'm just getting excited and I'm like, yeah, this is cool stuff. So yeah, thank you. So yeah, we'll again we'll try and get back to that about once a month or something like that. So we'll take turns, Father Anthony and I taking the lead on that. Uh we've got a long way to go on this. <laughs> we do. There's a lot of book left. <laughs> There's a lot of book left. So thanks for our listening to the podcast. Uh please find us on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. And please leave a review. Tell your friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too, because Jesus said we must love our enemies. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me on my Christian Minecraft server. You can find the podcast at Clerical Pod on Twitter, Clerically Speaking on Facebook. You can email us, clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. And uh, we will see you guys next week. God bless. Peace.